Welcome to What the Wealth, a financial planning and investment podcast for professionals and families to help you navigate life's financial transitions. Jonathan's mission is to facilitate the ability for you to plan for and create the life you love, free from anxiety about money. And now, here's your host, certified financial planner, Jonathan Bedner. Are we in a recession? That is the question. Hi, I'm Jonathan Bedner, certified financial planner and host of What the Wealth, a podcast where we talk about money, financial planning, investments, the economy, really all things money. One of the questions we've gotten quite a bit lately is the idea of are we in a recession? So we're going to spend today's episodes talking about the difference between a correction, a recession, and a depression. Where are we now? And some things that we can do to take control of our finances and make sure that we're, we're in pretty good shape to weather the storm. So in March, the market was in a free fall. It seemed like it could not find a bottom. There were massive plunges, really big enough to trip the kill switch three times in a single week. And when I say kill switch, I mean that there are certain triggers in the market they're called circuit breakers, where if the market goes up or down by a certain level, they'll just stop trading on the, on the market and, and give it some time for, for breathing allow maybe cooler heads to prevail with the hopeful outcome is that we take the emotions out of the trading and kind of start looking again at the fundamentals of these asset prices. So we saw in March that kill switch get triggered three times in a single week. Volatility was super high. All the headlines were bad. And you could hardly blame the average person from thinking that we're about to plunge headlong into a depression. What most people don't really understand is the definition of a depression. What is that? Or even the definitions of a correction or a recession. So what I really want to do in this podcast is explain, you know, the difference between that correction, the recession, and depression, peel back the layers of the onion, show where we are now, and again, maybe shed some light on some things we can do going forward. So a correction is a market decline of 10% from its 52-week high, which then would stop an upward trend. And a correction is not the same thing as a market crash. So a crash usually occurs when there's loss of at least 10% a single day. A correction happens with that 10% pullback over a period of time, maybe a week, maybe a month, maybe three months. But that 10% correction from high to low over a period of time is considered a correction. We would consider a crash if we saw that 10% in one day. So what happens is, is investors are buying stocks or bonds or assets based on fundamentals. So their earnings, their revenue, their sales. And as these market climbs, more investors start to join the party buying more stocks. And the correction happens when some of the reality sets back in and we can reprice the actual price of the security that you're buying or the investment you're buying compared to the earnings that that company earns, either in earnings per share or revenue or sales or whatever metric is being used to really convey the value of that stock. So these market corrections happen pretty frequently. It's it's common to see every eight to 12 months to see a 10% correction in the market, they usually last 
an average of 54 days, so call it two months. And the S&P since 1920 has on average had a 5% decline three times a year, a 10% decline once a year, and a 20% decline, which is what we consider a bear market, every seven years. So a 10% decline over a period of time is considered a correction. A 20% decline from high to low is what we consider a bear market. So we've lived through several of these over the lifetime and over the last 20 years. Sometimes you notice, sometimes you don't, sometimes they recover rather quickly, but a market correction does not mean the sky is falling. A correction is a necessary event that needs to happen periodically so that prices more accurately reflect the value of the underlying assets. And I go back to if we compare what the price you pay for a stock or a bond or, or any asset, real estate, and what their earnings are or the credit rating or the rental value or rental income you receive off that piece of property may be, a correction will allow that, that value and the earnings of that asset to become more closely in line. And so really corrections are rather healthy. Now, a recession is a little bit more strict. So what we need to see on a recession is two consecutive quarters of negative economic growth as measured by GDP or gross domestic product. GDP is the total monetary value of all the goods and services a country produces over a specific period of time. And so this GDP or, or gross domestic product represents the size and health of a country's economy. So if we see a steady growth, then we're seeing more and more products and services be sold. If you see a decline, you see people not spending as much, the economy shrinking. There are a few other factors that can indicate a recession. This would be high unemployment, potentially the stock market, although the stock market can trade separately from you know, recessionary factors. Trade wars potentially, like we're seeing right now with China, can, can be a negative impact and cause a recession. Credit availability, industrial output. So there's a couple of different factors there that can be indicators of, are we in a recession? But you can absolutely have a correction in the stock market without actually being in a recession. And so again, the recession, we need to see two consecutive quarters of our GDP decline over, a, over that 180 day or six month period. Recessions get more attention than do corrections because they're really necessary part of the economic and business cycles. They're not uncommon. Since 1900, we've had on average a recession every four years. Since World War II, the average length of the recession has been about 11 months. And this number is skewed a little bit because the Great Recession of 2007-8-9 lasted 18 months. So, you know, that 11 months averaged up a little bit because that the 2008 financial crisis took a little longer to recover than most of most of the other recessions. A depression is really largely defined, but really happened very, very, very infrequently. And most economists will agree that a depression is an economy showing little or no growth for more than a few years. So whereas a recession is maybe a couple of quarters and then things turn around and we start to see growth again, 
a depression is when we start to see, you know, a year or two or three years of consistent no growth or negative growth. We see large increases in unemployment numbers, which we have seen over the last six to eight weeks, a major decline in just demand for any good, good services, products, and also a corresponding decline in production. The last American global depression was the Great Depression in the 1930s. At its height, the U.S. production fell 47% and GDP fell 30%. Unemployment was above 20%, and this Great Depression lasted roughly a decade from 1929 to 1939. It, it's hard to know, are we in a recession right now? Are we in a correction? Are we in a depression? I think that there are several factors that we can really kind of look at and, and make some assumptions based off of. We'll kind of dive into where we are now, and we can try to make an assumption of, of where we think we're going. Ultimately, we won't really know if we're in a recession, depression, correction, until time passes, and then we can look back and say, oh, yeah, that was a depression. Oh, yeah, that was a recession. So time will, will be the one that ultimately tells us where we are. I right now think we're in a recession, although there is some depression type of numbers, namely the unemployment at you know 30 million people, plus or minus, that have been laid off in the last six or eight weeks. That is definitely a depression signal. But if this economy can restart and we can start hiring people back, it may not actually send us to a depression. So again, time will tell. Where are we now? So we're not officially in a recession. Before this pandemic, there were signs that maybe we were headed to a recession. The market was overheated. Well, I say overheated. Maybe just extended is probably the best way to say it. We've been 10 years in this bull market. We've had a couple of ebbs and flows and, and a few rocky times, but by and large, we had had a pretty strong 10-year bull market. The first quarter GDP of 2020 recently came out, and GDP fell by 4.8%. So that's the first quarter or the first reading of our gross domestic product that we saw a negative 4.8%. Goldman Sachs predicts GDP will drop 24% in the second quarter. That is a historic number. Massive, massive, massive number. So if we do see that negative print on GDP in the second quarter, we will officially be in a recession. Again, the definition of a recession is two consecutive quarters of negative economic growth, We've already had one officially. The second, which I expect and agree with, I'm not sure that I really agree with the 24% that Goldman Sachs is putting out. I've seen anywhere from down 10% to down 36%, depending on you know which economist you follow or you see. I think that anyone would project or, or could predict right now Second quarter numbers are probably not going to be good, and we're going to see a negative print. And then we will officially be in a recession, even though we can't say we're officially in one right now. Again, no one can predict the future, but it is possible to kind of look at market data and make some assumptions on, on where we are. So consumer confidence is one of the things that 
that we can look at and see when consumers are optimistic about the economy and their jobs and, and money, they spend money. They buy goods, they buy services. When that confidence starts to erode, they spend less. Right now, no one is spending money outside of places like the grocery store and drugstores because they're afraid to. I put a, an image up not long ago that showed kind of our fear of COVID-19 and the coronavirus and health is starting to decline. We're less fearful about it. However, our fear of no money and job security and not having an emergency fund and what are we going to do, just fearful about the economics, you know, our family's economics are starting to increase. And we're really right there at that crossing point where we're starting to kind of tilt into a negative impact of consumer confidence. We're starting to just cinch up, hoard cash, spend very, very conservatively, only on the basics, you know, not, you know, frivolously going out and, and spending on all the bells and whistles for gadgets or, or services or trips or what have you. Now, some of that is because we've been on lockdown and we haven't been able to spend money. And I think that's really what's happened over the last, you know, the, or the first four weeks of this government mandated shutdown. Over the last four weeks or so, I think, again, we're starting to see people be more fearful about their job security and spending money than they were at first. So the, the University of Michigan puts out a consumer sentiment for the U.S., and it was around 71.8 in April of 2020. This is the lowest reading since December of 2011. And in February, it was around 101. So we have significantly contracted consumers and, and their confidence in just spending money and just having that, I guess, that safety net or the blanket to feel secure enough to go out and spend money. Factory slowing production. Obviously, we've seen a lot of factories close down, furlough workers. If we can get this economy open and back up again, I think we'll see those obviously come back online. But for now, we've seen those factories slow production. And if they're slowing production, there's less inventory for consumers to buy, which means consumers aren't spending as much. So even if they did have the confidence to spend, they may not have the products to go buy because factories have been shut down. Unemployment has been another major impact We've seen unemployment absolutely skyrocket over the last six weeks or so. We went from having a very, very low unemployment rate of you know 3.5% to in the matter of six weeks, which is the lowest it's been in, in 50 years plus, to over the last six weeks now having over 30 million people unemployed, really at the, at the drop of a hat. And that is going to make a major, major, major impact on our economy. We've seen new car sales decline. Shares for Fiat Chrysler, GM, and Toyotas fell 10%, 7%, and 9% in March. So consumers were are, you know, not buying or upgrading their cars. We've also seen credit card debt and late payments increase. 40% of Americans don't have enough to cover a $400 emergency fund. So because of that, we're going to see, and because of the layoffs, we're going to see increased usage of credit cards. 
that's going to increase their debt. That's going to increase the interest that is due on the debt outstanding. And I also expect it will cause delinquencies and potential bankruptcies over not being able to satisfy those debt obligations for the credit cards. Last year in 2019, credit card delinquencies were at their highest level in seven years. And in the second quarter, 5.2% of accounts were 90 days or more past due. I expect these numbers to jump significantly in 2020, again, with, with more than 30 million people on unemployment. So we've talked about the difference between a, a recession, a correction, a depression, where are we now, and maybe some signs that we look at to see where are we, where are we going, and how do we analyze you know, where we stand now. So now I'm going to talk about a few steps we should take to make sure that we have positioned ourselves to be in good financial standing to weather storms like this. Because we've talked about, you know, corrections happen almost yearly, recessions happen, you know, every every several years, depressions or major pandemics like we're seeing now. And again, I'm not saying we're in a depression, but obviously catastrophic events like this happen even in longer periods of time, but definitely something that we should be prepared for and have taken proactive steps to make sure that you have fortified your financials. So if this happens again, you're not unprepared. So what steps should we, sh should we take? Fortify your emergency fund. A lot of people talk about three to, three to six months of, of an emergency fund. I highly recommend six to 12 months. You just don't know how long something like this is gonna last, how long your specific situation will last. So I highly recommend a six to 12 month emergency fund. This is of necessary expenses. So not all monthly spending, but of necessary expenses. This would be utilities, rent or mortgage, groceries, car insurance, you know, the, the basic necessities you need every day to function and, and live a comfortable life. Not necessarily a luxurious life, but just make sure that you're not super stressed out where if we see something like this or the market goes down or you happen to lose a job, you've got that nest egg in place to get you through, through the storm. Cut spending. A lot of people don't like this. They are used to living, you know, the American lifestyle where we are streaming and we are buying the you know, latest and greatest technology, newest iPhone or Android. And there's nothing wrong with those things, but sometimes we're forced to buckle up and just make sure we think about our spending. And is it something we actually need right now, or is it something that we can maybe kick down the road and, and purchase or, or consume at a later date? So it's possible to suspend payments. You'll have to talk with your mortgage holder or your student loan holder, but these potentially could be an option if, you know, if making those payments becomes tough. It's called forbearance, and you're asking for a timeline where you don't have to make a payment. You want to make sure you find out if you do go into forbearance on one of these, what the impact is. Are they going to want, hypothetically, if you get a three-month mortgage forbearance, 
at the end of that three months, are you going to be required to pay those full three months at one time? Or do they add it on to the end of your loan? Same applies for student loans. You want to see how suspending these payments can impact you know, your overall plan. But if you can do it, and if your, if your mortgage company or if your student loan company will allow something like that, or your credit card company will allow something like that, you just want to see what the ramifications are. If they do let you do that, then the money that you save should first be used to pay current living expenses, to make sure that you don't get behind on current living expenses. The second thing should be to boost your emergency fund. If you're not having to make these payments, but you're current on living expenses and groceries and, and not driving up credit card debt, because what you, we're trying to avoid the debt like the plague. So if you if you have that forbearance from these from these companies, then I would recommend trying to pile that money up in the emergency fund so that you're building those reserves should this happen again or should this last longer than you anticipate. Update your resume or consider going back to work. Even if you're still working, it's a good idea to update your resume and reconnect with people in your network that you may have lost touch with. Opportunity is oftentimes born in disaster and you want to be in the best position to jump on opportunity if it comes your way. So a good way to do that is just maybe once a year, glance through your resume, give it an update. But even in times like this, maybe spend an extra 30 minutes or so going through your resume and bringing it up to date. Review your asset allocation. So you want to check and make sure that your asset allocation is in line with your risk tolerance and your, your retirement timeline. If you're nearing retirement, you may want to be more conservative in the event of a recession. If you're decades away, even not decades, if you're, if you're five to 10 years away from retirement, your money has some time to kind of weather this storm. So you want to make sure you're in a good position, but you may want to take advantage of some of this weakness and be a little bit more aggressive to take advantage of some of these deals we're seeing at prices this low. Ultimately, you want to review your financial plan with a certified financial planner. You want to analyze and make sure that the steps you're taking are prudent building blocks to create a more solid foundation to your financial plan and that you are not making emotional panic decisions about what to do and when to do it, but you're actually putting thought process in place executing a plan that will, again, further build on a strong, solid foundation for you. You don't want to panic. You don't want to make emotional decisions. You really want to carefully analyze this. And a lot of times, the best way to do that is with a certified financial planner who has your best interest at heart and who can really give you kind of proactive, from a third party's point of view, objective advice on your current situation. I want to say that, you know, this is not intended to be legal or financial advice or tax advice. You know, you need to consult your tax attorney or your CPA or your financial advisor with your unique situation to make sure that you're evaluating where you are in, in this roadmap and what actions you can take. Remember, we at Paradigm Wealth Partners are here to help in any way you can. So if you want us to, to 
be that resource for you. We're happy to do so. You can go to paradigmwealthpartners.com and, and get some more information about who we are and how we can assist you. Thanks for tuning in. If you haven't subscribed, then please subscribe to this podcast with the wealth. Appreciate you listening. As always, create the life you love. Thank you for joining us on What the Wealth. For more information, get in touch with Jonathan at whatthewealth.com. Remember to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any information that can help you create the life you love. of this podcast is educational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a final decision. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through Paradigm Wealth Partners, a registered investment advisor and separate entity from LPL Financial. This information is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized tax advice. We suggest that you discuss your specific tax issues with a qualified tax advisor.